In this episode of the Brawn Body Podcast, I'm joined by my friend, Dr. Jonathan Harned. John earned his Bachelor's of Science in Health Science and his Doctorate of Physical Therapy from Lebanon Valley College in Anvil, Pennsylvania. While he was here, he played Division Three baseball for four years. John had an opportunity to complete clinical rotations across the country, including a rotation with the Cleveland Indians. If you're not familiar with them, they are a professional baseball organiz- organization in the MLB. While he was with the Indians, he was able to work with other medical professionals in designing and implementing rehab and injury prevention programs for professional baseball players. In addition, Jonathan has obtained uh, valuable experiences in outpatient orthopedics and the acute care setting. John holds certifications in personalized blood flow restriction through Owens Recovery Science, suspension training through TRX, and has his emergency medical response for the athlete or ERA certification. In addition, he's a NSCA certified strength and conditioning specialist and a functional range conditioning master specialist. He is also currently pursuing his sports certified specialist uh, certification for physical therapy, his dry needling certification, and his precision nutrition level one uh, certification. John is really well-versed in treating a variety of sports orthopedic and neurologic conditions, and that includes shoulders, elbows, knees, hips, ACLs, concussion rehab, you name it. This guy, if you couldn't tell by that impressive bio, is an absolute workhorse. He grinds 24-7. I swear he doesn't sleep sometimes. So highly recommend you look into him. Give him a follow on Instagram. You can find him at diamond underscore doctor one four. He's going to mention that once or twice in the episode, if he can remember his Instagram handle with that too, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. So you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. We've got a whole awesome series coming at you real soon, including uh, interviews with former NFL players, other physical therapists, chiropractors, athletes, strength coaches, you name it. So things that you're not going to want to miss are coming real soon. Before we get to the show, going to have a quick word from our sponsor. John, welcome to the show. Excited to have you, man. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it uh, to be on. So you're definitely not a stranger to the show, man. I mean, we've had you on a couple times early on. This is obviously our latest and greatest endeavor of John Harned podcast. So uh, just kind of remind people who you are and what you do. Um, name's John Harned. I went to Lebanon Valley College, played baseball there for four years, um, graduated in 2018 with my Bachelor of Science in Health Sciences, and then graduated with my DBT in May of 2020. Um, did clinical rotations all over the country, um, was in Arizona for six to seven months, um, had the great opportunity to work with the Cleveland Indians, which I was very thankful for, learned a lot, and it's kind of helped me excel in the baseball world down here in the DMV area. Uh, DMV stand for Delaware, Maryland, Virginia not Department of Motor Vehicles that I thought <laughs> from New York, and that's what it is. That's the MBA down here. Um, graduated in May of 2020. I got accepted into the Johns Hopkins Sports Residency uh, is the reason why I moved down here. Um, however, because of COVID, uh, my plans changed, program changed, things got derailed a little bit. So I took a little detour and that detour had led me to True Sports Physical Therapy, where I started part-time just to, you know, get some 
you know, money um, experience before the program started. And then one thing led to another. I was offered a full-time position. After careful consideration, I decided to take it and politely turn down Hopkins. And now I'm the clinical director at our Woodbine location. And we, you know, we continue to grow, opening several new locations over COVID and continue to look to expand. So things are great. Love yeah. I'm and at. I mean, you're a year or two out of school and you're already a clinic director. I mean, how many people can say that, right? I'll tell you what, I mean, there, I'm sure there are a few others out there that have, you know, gotten there. Um, you know, it's overwhelming. It's, you know, it's hard. It's a lot of early mornings, late nights, but you know, it's what I love to do. And, you know, I love working in this setting, this population, my coworkers are great. So kind of coming to work really doesn't seem like work. And I know that's cliche, but, right. um, you know, new, new things every day, fun every day. So I can't complain. Right. What do you think sets true sports apart? Why is it that you're growing so extensively, especially in a time like now where it seems like so many clinics are struggling? I mean, I think it's the culture that we breed. I mean, our goal and our mission and values are to provide the best care to any person we see. You know, we are very, we are a very sports-based company. My caseload is probably 90% athletes. Um, but we see kids from all ages, older adults. I mean, I've treated kids as young as seven to adults as old as 96. And that's no exaggeration, but we pride ourselves on giving the patient the absolute best care. We are one-on-one, -on -one, so we have no techs. We have no aids and that's, you know, nothing against techs or aids. I've worked with great techs and aids. Um, but this new, or maybe not new model of therapy, but the model of physical therapy out there right now, where, you know, you come in to see your PT and they do your, their 15 minutes of manual therapy or hands-on stuff. And then you get past, you know, a tech or an aid and you're scheduling your 15 minutes, you know, it's hard to keep quality of care there. You know, I don't care how good you are. Something's going to get slipped through the cracks. Um, and I think that's why we have been able to expand. You know, success speaks for itself. You know, people get better. One-on-one -on -one care, you can't beat it. You know, you're constantly with a physical therapist, with their doctor who is cueing you, getting to know you, your life story, where you came from, where you want to go, your goals, and giving you what you need for your goals, not cookie cutter exercises or anything like that. Right. And it seems like you're often coming up with new exercises and interventions for a specific athlete or a population that needs something. You're not just sticking to the bread and butter stuff like, you know, take a squat or a deadlift, for example. You're not just giving everyone squat deadlift. It's, hey, let's do single leg RDL, but let's incorporate a band and let's incorporate some external forces to this area and this area during it. Or let's float our heel during that RDL. Let's do our single, our squat on one leg instead of two. Like there's endless customization options, I guess we'll say for exercises that it seems like you're always coming up with. And it's taking these basic things and almost tailor fitting them to every patient. Yeah. Um, you know, and that, that comes with time to learn, right? Like you have your basic exercise library. Um, I'll say I kind of make things up as I go based on what that athlete needs, right? You break down a movement that they need to do, whether it's a, a pole vaulter, um, a swimmer, you know, a baseball pitcher, or you know, your everyday weekend warrior. What what movements do they need to do, pain free, and what movements do they need to do well? Break that down, and if you know muscle pull angles, muscle you know pulls and things like that, 
you can position somebody in any variety of positions and stimulate what you want. But it's also, you know, it, you, you know, ask that patient, you know, where do you feel this? What do you feel? Things like that. And you can actually find yourself making up or, or coming up with new variations or, or different positions to stimulate what you want, whether that's be more quad activation, more glute activation, um, different foot positioning to stimulate different things at the ankle, things like that. Right. Now you bring up muscle pull and angles and you and I have talked pretty extensively in the past about anatomy. And I know that you've got this belief that programs in general teach anatomy wrong. They teach origin insertion, and it does these actions at this joint, plain and simple cookie cutter. This is how it is black and white. And I know that you felt that there's a problem with how programs are teaching anatomy. You've experienced that as a student. You've seen other students. How do you think we should be approaching anatomy instead of just, well, here's where the muscle attaches and here's what it does. I mean, everybody's anatomy is essentially the same. You have a general origin, you know, a general insertion. Um, you know, when, when it comes to exercises and doing stuff to stimulate that thing, that muscle, you know, you can do it through a variety of your bread and butter exercise, or, or you can do it through a variety of, you know, coming up with things and stuff like that. But I think the biggest thing when, you know, you talk about like that anatomy and, and, and the basics of it is, and when it comes to physical therapy is start with like, your things that are essential to you know like for example like if you have somebody coming in with like standard knee pain right you figure out what it is whether it's patellar tendonitis patellofemoral pain syndrome know the difference between the two and there is a big big difference and understand how those two things get irritated and stuff like that but based on the anatomy, don't just treat it like a, a specific, like, oh, they have knee pain. So this is what we do for knee pain. But understand that in essence, everyone's anatomy is the same. But when we base it on those pull angles, just because one person feels, you know, their quad a little bit more in this position doesn't mean that, you know, someone else experiences it in the same position. So that's where that fine line of tweaking comes in during your session and your, you know, your session and you have to adjust for it. Um, but essentially a quad is a quad and a hamstring is a hamstring. It's just making sure that based on different angles of pull and things like that, that they're still feeling that muscle engage rather than multiple muscles engage, unless that's your goal, if that makes sense. Right. So kind of like that mind muscle connection, the neuromotor piece. Yeah. Along with that, one of the programs that I know has really transformed your approach to thinking has been functional range conditioning. And I mean, this is something you and I both know, we've both struggled with a ton of mobility restrictions in the past. Um, you know, I think we've been trying to fix my hips for years and we finally got it uh, handled. Uh, and I credit a lot of that to your knowledge that you've shared about functional range conditioning, things like pails and rails and cars. So with that, for people who don't know, what is functional range conditioning? What's it all about? So functional range conditioning or FRC is just a system of training that looks at three main things for joints, functional mobility, articular resilience, and then articular health and longevity. 
It's just a basic concept and you have different progressions within FRC or functional range conditioning. Um, the biggest thing that we think about is like, oh, somebody has no flexibility or someone's extremely mobile. And a lot of the times those terms are kind of used interchangeably or, you know, as synonyms or, or things like that. And they are very different. Like flexibility, if we think about it, is the ability to passively achieve a range of motion, right? Whether it's like a, a passive stretch, someone's doing it for you, you're doing a, you know, a, a rope hamstring stretch, that's great. You're getting a stretch, but it's passively. It's essentially useless range of motion because you don't know how to actively get there. You're just taking a strap, you know, or, or, or doing a different variation of a stretch, but you're not actually letting your body, your central nervous system help you achieve that motion. Mobility is just the idea of moving and being free. Free and easy, right? We're moving around, the ability to move physically. Functional mobility is the ability to achieve a range of motion actively, right? It's mobility for function. And that is the thing that we, as a society, trainers, you know, whether that be, you know, your CSCS guys or you're just your certified personal trainers or therapists need to focus on. If we get somebody to increase their range of motion, passively, that's grand dandy. Now you're just promoting increased risk for injury because they've never been in that range. They don't know how to operate that. So the idea of FRC is improving functional mobility and that ability to actively achieve that range of motion in a safe manner, but also being able to control that range of motion at end range. And then that's where all of those little things that you kind of talked about come in. Your cars, your pails and rails, your things like that. And there's other ones to go off of that. Right. So what do those mobility drills entail? So in general, what is a car? What is a pail? What is a rail? So cars, they stand for controlled articular rotations. In essence, it's just a range of, mo a range of motion maintenance. Um, it's your ability to determine your active range of motion, right? Do it at any joint, wrist, shoulder, and you know, we can dive into the weeds of that, of exercises and video and, and things like that. Um, but it's your range of motion, range of motion maintenance. It, it's a use for, you know, health and longevity of that articular cartilage, because, you know, we know from physical therapy, uh, schooling and stuff like that, that, you know, ligaments, tendons, articular cartilage, labrums, they don't really have a blood supply, right? So the only way for the tissue to get, nutrients is by movement, you know, pressure gradients, um, and, and diffusion and things like that. So if you're not moving, say your shoulder can't really expect that articular cartilage and stuff like that to get nutrients. So that's why you move it, right? It's going to sound cheesy as all hell, but motion is lotion. We used to move it, right? It's, you know, we talk about, you know, you and I with spinal mobility and stuff like that. If you're not moving that, hell yeah, it's going to get stiff and hell yeah, you're going to lose movement and you're going to get back pain. Yep. You know what I mean? Um, but it's also a use for screening and stuff like that. So, you know, where is this person limited in motion? Are they having excessive compensations? Like, for example, if you're doing a hip car, you're looking, you know, you can do it in standing or whatever position you want. You're looking at how much range of motion does this part person have in their hip? you're going to often find that they're going to start losing, using their low back to get hip extension or vice versa or some other motion. But you can also, you know, you know, you're doing them every day, you know, joint by joint, 
you know, or however, which way you want it. Right. And if you have a shoulder problem, like I tore my labrum in the fall or in the winter, excuse me, I was doing some carbs. Um, that tissue doesn't have, you know, blood supply, get, you know, get some movement to it, get some nutrients to it. Um, your particular health and longevity, and then your, you know, your, your screening and your rehab. That makes, that makes sense. I like that complete articular uh, rotation, complete articular range. And with that, like you said, you're taking your joint actively through its full range. So to me, that seems like something that would maintain range of motion perfectly. If you're someone who's like, Hey, you know, I don't need to increase anything. I just want to hold on to what I have rip those in the morning and the evening. And I'm sure you're going to hold on to everything you got all day. And I mean, essentially what you're doing is you're, you're engaging all those mechanoreceptors in that joint on a daily basis and say you have an injury and stuff like that, you're delaying or preventing that onset of that osteoarthrosis or that, that tightening or, you know, that fibrotic buildup that comes with injury. Do you know what I mean? Right. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, joint replacement surgeries are becoming far too common anymore. I've seen them personally in people who are 50 years old. And, you know, we have to ask ourselves as a society, is this the direction we want? Do we want people to be getting, you know, a new knee replacement every 10, 15 years for half their life? Or do we want to take five, 10 minutes out of our day to do some of these functional range conditioning exercises and start working to prevent that? Uh, personally, I see a lot of value in everything that you're uh, dropping so far. So moving on to pails and rails. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Pale is progressive angular isometric loading, whereas rail is regressive angular isometric loading, correct? Correct. So with those, from what I've understood from them, because I'm lucky enough to have played around with them a little bit, thanks to people like you, uh, it's kind of a stretching with an isometric load at either a progressive or regressive articular angle and doing that expands your range of motion, but also increases your strength and increases tissue adaptation at that new range. So it's increasing your end range of motion, applying a neural drive to reinforce that movement pattern and then strengthen the muscles in that position through isometric loading. Yeah, you know what? My job's done. You just kind of hit it on the head. I'm going to go home now. <laughs> you did um, your work ahead of time because you taught me that. <laughs> your pails and rails are, you know, your, your cars is your assessment. Where is this person limited? Your pails and your rails, you know, are your ability to achieve new motion, strengthening at new ranges of motion and things like that. Um, I like to think of your pails and your rails almost as your middleman, at least that's how I kind of think about it. Cause there's two other things or three other things that we could talk about at the end. Um, so to kind of break it down in a way that, you know, people are, you know, progressive angles, what does that mean? Regressive angles. So for example, you take your basic butterfly stretch, right? You're sitting, you're letting your legs go out, you're holding your ankles, your forearms are on your shins kind of there's, there's different buildups or, or levels. So there's like level one, two, three, however you want to break it up. But in essence, what you're doing with these, and I, I, I'll like combine them in two and one is you're sitting there, you're going to go to that point where you have a stretch, right? Mm -hmm. Hang out there for like a minute or two. Um, the FRC course has approximately two minutes and stuff like that. So you can make sure everything is stimulated and stuff like that. 
You can play around with different angles or positioning of your body for essential stretches. But what you're doing is you're, you would start with your rails, which is your regressive angular isometric loading. And what you're doing in your, in your basic butterfly stretch, when you're going down, the muscle that is being stretched or your adductors, you know, your, your things like that on the inner part of your thigh, okay? Regressive meaning the angle is getting smaller. So, you, you know, you're holding that stretch for roughly two minutes. And now what you're going to do on a continuum, right? There's, there's this law of law of irradiation. When you do these, you should feel like you are working out. When I did the course and did pails and rails, I was sore the next day in my legs and my arms. I thought I worked out heavy. So you're going to think about contracting every part of your body when you do any pails and rails. A law of irradiation, right? You're not moving, but everything is tensed, right? Mm -hmm. So your legs are falling out. You're stretching your, you know, adductors, your groins. Starting at roughly 10%, you're going to start irradiating everything in your body and almost giving yourself a subtle squeeze in with your legs, making that angle smaller, right? The idea of the butterfly stretch is to get those knees towards the ground. That's a progressive angle. We're getting larger. Right. You want regressive, right? So you're starting at that 10%, slowly irradiating everything in your body, then gradually ramping up 20%. 30%, yada, 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 all the point until you're at 100%. And 100% is hard as hell. Yep. You're squeezing, right? But you're not moving, right? You're squeezing into your arms. Your, your legs right. actually aren't coming together. And once you hold that 100% for a little bit, now this is where pales comes in, progressive, right? You are now going to activate those muscles that are going to allow you, your external rotators, your hip adductors, your things like that, to get those knees towards the ground or progressively increase that angle. And you're going to do that until you get to that point where you just can't go anymore. And you are going to like literally try to break through that barrier or that wall. Mm -hmm. You might get some cramping. That's good. We call that neurologic confusion because your body is just like, what is going on right now? And then you hold that new range of motion. And that kind of reinforces that new range. And I'm guessing you probably hold that for a prolonged period of time or as long as you can. Um, yeah, essentially you're holding that new range for, you know, 30 seconds, 40 seconds, you know, a minute and stuff like that. And some people are kind of probably like, well, what is the difference between like P and F stretching? Isn't that kind of similar, like contracting and stuff like that? I'll tell you what, you are not contracting nearly as hard as you would with FRC as you, or with P and F as you are with FRC. Right. This is creating so much neural drive and, and connection to your muscles and isometric loading that you, you will be sore and you will be building that like strength component. Obviously you have to load too, as well, in addition to this, but it is another tool in your toolbox for this. I would imagine that this would help people in the gym too, especially if they struggle to get into those ranges or they know that there's a certain range where they're not strong at reinforce that range at the joint with that isometric load, right? And you're, you're, yeah, you're killing two birds with one stone. You're, you're working on functional mobility, which we talked about being act, able to actively, you know, so you're doing your cards assessment, your warm up, whether it's a hip car or a shoulder car, whatever, a thoracic car, a lumbar car, and then you're going to rip some pails and rails, right? Isometric strength. If you have pain in area, that's going to help that analgesic effect with that, those endogenous op opioids. You're going to, you're going to have some pain reduction, 
but you're also creating so much neural drive and CNS activation that you're going to be able to go rip whatever you're doing. So as far as when you incorporate these in a therapy session, is this kind of start of the session, first thing you do, or is this end of the session or just kind of, Hey, as we need it. I mean, you know, it depends on what, what does that individual need? I've done it, you know, in the beginning of my session, I've done it in the middle, I've done it at the end. It's all based on like your programming and what your desire is. Um, I think it's great to start in the beginning. Um, if that individual, you know, is ready for that stuff, depending on what they're coming in for. Um, but I, I just think is, you know, you sprinkle it in as need be, and, and obviously in a manner that's appropriate where it fits into your session. Right. Right. Um, end of a session is really good as well. You know, it just depends, you, you know, when, in what you're doing, are you going to use it as like a, a warm up mobility thing and then use whatever, you know, exercise to help, you know, to further reinforce what you just did? Or is there, you know, are they just having a TLC day and you're just running through a whole FRC day? Not a right. lot of people probably know what TLC day is. Uh, <laughs> tender loving care day is what we call them here at True Sports. Um, you know, your athletes who are just loading a lot, they need, you know, some, they need a day of recovery. So. Right. Now, speaking of recovery, uh, there's certain exercise interventions that don't really leave a long lasting delayed onset muscle soreness. And I know that they're great for athletes. Uh, for the most part, we're referring specifically to BFR blood flow restriction training. Uh, I know you took the course through uh, Owen's recovery, and that's something that you're really passionate about using. So for those that hear the word BFR and they think, yeah. what is that? What is BFR? Well, BFR stands for blood flow, blood flow restriction, um, based on tourniquet principles, actually in the military. Um, so occluding blood flow, um, not all blood flow, but for just a brief overview, you know, what it is. And if people don't know too much about it, um, essentially it's trying to mimic the hypoxic environment of high intensity exercise, right? Yep. Um, it's where you apply a, a cuff. And what I like to explain or explain to patients, it's, it's almost like getting your blood pressure taken, right? Mm -hmm. You can do one at, you know, the proximal arm. So right in that armpit area, shoulder or proximal thigh. Um, and what you do is we pump it up to a certain limb occlusion pressure, LOP. And all limb occlusion pressure is, is the amount of pressure needed to cut off all blood flow coming back to the heart. So, you know, arteries send blood away, veins bring it back. Yep. Owens Recovery Science um, likes to recommend pressures for the limb, the legs, and the arms. So usually for lower extremity exercise, we do about 80% LOP um, and 50% for the arms. BFR is so cool because the body needs like metabolic stress in order to like build muscle and get stronger, right? So right. Um, the master switch to muscle protein synthesis is that mTOR pathway. And BFR helps stimulate that. So mm -hmm. in, in cases where people can't load a joint because one, maybe they just tore their ACL and they're two weeks out and obviously they're not doing anything or one week out or whatever, right? Or a shoulder or they're coming in and they're just having some cranky knee pain because it helps with pain reduction. It is so good because what it does is it now allows you to load an individual at roughly 20 to 30% of a one rep max and get the same, if not better results than if you were to load them at 100% of a one rep max. And with that BFR comes changes in muscle activity, hormonal changes, increased protein synthesis. So 
you know, after you have that cuff on them and after you hit that lactate threshold, which is essentially that muscle burning effect that, you know, people get, like if, you know, you're a runner and you're like, oh, my quads are burning or things like that. That's your, that's that lactic, you know, acid that, you know, people say that they feel. You get a surge of, you know, increased growth hormone. You get a surge of insulin-like growth factor, you know, and that's your muscle hypertrophy and, you, you know, your stuff like that you get increased stem cells, that's your increased growth and repair. And it just allows us to load individuals in, in an essence where they need to get stronger, because obviously the stronger you are, the less likely you are to get hurt um, without compromising uh, a surgical protocol or, or putting that individual at increased risk if they are having pain and things like that. Right. So the primary mechanism by the sounds is mostly physiological. You said increased growth hormone, mTOR activation, increased growth factors, and a little bit of neural, neural kind of rewiring, so to speak. You said yes. increasing that neural drive, um, increasing connection to the muscles, that sort of thing. So that sounds like the primary mechanism behind BFR. Yeah. And, and it's awesome because like, if you think about it, if someone has surgery, you, you see muscle protein breakdown as early as two weeks, you know, studies range from anywhere from 20 to 40%, you know, 30, 30 to 40% is kind of that baseline. So if I can stimulate somebody's, you know, you know, mTOR pathway immediately and start getting them stronger in an area where, you know, say they're on crutches and can't walk, you know, after a meniscectomy or, or an ACL, I'll be damned if I'm not going to do it. I'm yeah. going to throw the puff on them and, you know, let them get to work. And it's also going to have that pain reducing effect. They're going to feel a hell of a lot better after the cuff or in the cuff than they did, you know, coming into PT, um, you know, and stuff like that. Any interesting research that you like to look at on BFR? Um, I know we've talked about the Alex Smith uh, story a couple of times. I mean, there's so much new research out there, uh, you know, on stuff like that. Um, I have a whole, you know, Owens recovery signs, BFR, like we're within the course description, we can add that to the notes for people. Um, in essence, it not only has, you know, effect on, you know, anabolic resistance, but also like it has been shown to help with aerobic resistance. So you can strap some leg cuffs on somebody and let them ride a bike, you know, you'll get strength that way, but it also, you know, work on the cardio, uh, cardiovascular, you know, cardiorespiratory um, things as well. Um, so I can add that into the show notes, but, you know, it's been out for a while. It's up and coming and stuff like that. And I use it almost every session. Yeah. Yeah. You know, obviously recommended, um, you know, if needed, but I'm using it like 95% of my day. There's not a day I don't go and I don't use it. Right. I think, um, I think I remember a study looking at uh, collegiate basketball players with BFR and they increased their VO2 max by 11% in a month by doing BFR uh, biking. Yeah. I mean, think about it too. Like I work, you know, we work with a lot of athletes and you're getting these athletes in different phases of seasons, whether out of season, in season and stuff like that. So if I got somebody in season, you're obviously not like going super heavy to the point where that they're just not going to be able to perform at their next game. You know, if I got a kid on a Thursday night, like today I had a kid, plays a football game tomorrow, you, you know, you got to know where they're at in their season. And that, that's the other crucial thing that it comes to when you're working with athletes, and, you know, and things like that, you know, you can easily put BFR on them and, and have a maintenance and help build strength, you know, when they need it, or if that's what they're here for, if they're recovering and, and help flush things out and still feel really good and still get your work done that you need at 20 to 30% load. 
right? And the endurance benefits that come with it are often overlooked as well. I mean, how often do we just look at strength alone? You know, it's great to be strong, but are you still that strong 70 minutes into your 90 minute match or in the fourth quarter when the game's on the line, when things really matter? So I like the protocols I see with the BFR too. Uh, I think Owens is, correct me if I'm wrong, was 15 reps each set originally. Uh, for so First set of 30. And then 15, 15, 15. And then three sets of 15. Because there's like a time effect too. I mean, sometimes I'll stray away from that, um, yep. you know, based on what load I give them and things like that. And obviously that is based on like clinical application and clinical judgment and stuff like that. But the basic essence is 30, 15, 15, 15. Um, another thing too, I want to mention with the BFRs, like thinking about it, even in your, your population, you know, that for example, could be bedridden or things like that. There's been studies that, you know, they talk about uh, cell swelling and, um, you know, the pump effect. It's been shown with BFR that multiple inflation and deflation cycles, even without active exercise can be effective for stimulating like muscle response and you know and cell swelling response and things like that right um, and that should help with tissue healing as well because people forget sure. you need inflammation in order for tissues to heal bringing more blood flow to an area so your articular cartilage like that we talked about with the frc stuff right if they can't crazily move it right like you have your acl and you know you're working on that extension and that you know that and terminal knee extension strength and you're doing what we like to call heel pops here at True Sports, throw the cuff on them and they're also going to get some healing too in that area. Right. Endless benefits. And this is easy to justify for anyone. So with that too, we've touched on FRC. We've touched on BFR. I do want to say one more thing because we hopped from the, F the FRC stuff to the BFR after the pails and rails. There are a few things after the pails and rails and I don't mean to like piggyback back and forth, but um. Just, just for the, the audience out there so they know it just doesn't end at pails and rails. You also have things after like passive range holds where you're, you know, someone's passively bringing you to an end range of motion and then letting go and you have to hold that. Yep. There's passive range liftoffs, which is another, you know, thing. So say, for example, external rotation of the shoulder, someone passively brings you there and now you have to lift off at that end range there's hovers, which you're hovering at end range, and then end range rotational training, all of which being end range strength, functional mobility, stability, things like that. And that's why I said pails and rails are almost like that middle guy. So cars could be your assessment, your daily maintenance, your movement. Pails and rails are helping you increase that range of motion to get to end range. Now, all those passive range holds, those passive range liftoffs, hovers, and end range rotational training, that's your, that's your end range stuff, right? So you have your, your first third, your middle third, your last third, right? Yep. Makes and that's sense. what I just wanted to wrap up to the audience so that they knew those are out there too. And if anybody has questions and, and exercise things of how to do that and what it looks like, DM me, text me, throw my number. Everyone's got my damn phone number <laughs> in the area. So what's a few more people, you know, around the country. So right. um, just for them out there. So they have that. Yeah, for sure. That's great information. Uh, and that's the kind of stuff too. It's easy to understand the progression and obviously functional range conditioning has the kind of course, which you took. I'm sure you would recommend that to pretty much anyone. Uh, there's also just some online content that FRC themselves put out 
You can follow him on Instagram, YouTube. I'm doing a freaking plug for FRC right now. Tag him in it. Yeah. So, and along with that, we've kind of been building up to this thing uh, that is kind of your bread and butter, and that's knees. So we've talked about FRC. We've talked about BFR. Those are things that, you know, you mentioned you can use those to treat things like an ACL. You mentioned using the BFR to treat ACL early on. So you don't violate protocol, but continue to keep strength and function. So when it comes to ACLs, I think everyone, uh, at least everyone from LVC's program is familiar with the stat that 400,000 reconstructions are performed annually. And those numbers are slightly outdated. That number uh, might be higher now. Uh, So when it comes to ACL tears, we've discussed this in the past in other episodes about how valgus collapse can kind of contribute to that, how estrogen can play a role, uh, playing style limitations and mobility, stability, all these different things. But throwing that aside for a second, in your experience, what do you notice amongst athletes who tear their ACLs? What kind of common trends, common things have you seen? I mean, just from a demographic standpoint, it's a lot of females. Your younger females, your teenage females, you will see boys, but mainly, you know, especially, you know, Maryland, there's, I mean, not just in Maryland, but it's a lot of younger girls, Um, whether that be because of biomechanical differences, whether that be a slight delay in central nervous system signaling to a muscle, and there's that delayed motor response where it happens, but a majority of, you know, the athletes that we see are young women who tear their ACLs. Also, then you can dive in the rabbit hole of like sport and field, you know, are they playing on turf or grass? Like a lot of things go into it. So do you see it more often in turf athletes than field athletes? I don't necessarily, you know, would say that. I mean, Maryland's predominantly, there's a lot of lacrosse. So they're playing that on turf and grass. So I don't, you know, I, I can't really speak for that, whether one more, you know, whether it's more, you know, turf or grass and and vice versa, but, you know, just from, you know, studying research, PT school, I know that is one factor that can contribute. I mean, I never liked playing on turf because my cleats got caught, whether that's a rabbit hole to dive down to, I don't know, you know. So with that too, um, when we talk about rehab for an ACL tear, I mean, that's got to be one of the most rigorous rehab processes that anyone undergoes, right? Because, it's long, it's slow, it's, you know, progressive in the sense that you literally start over from zero. You start with that thing locked up and you just try and move it and regain range of motion. And then over time, over the course of what, six months to a year, you progressively increase to strengthening to different exercises and so on from there. So clearly an intensive rehab process. Uh, What sets you at True Sports apart from other facilities when it comes to ACL rehab? I mean, the biggest thing that I would say is like what we talked about, is like that the one-on-one care, like that's the stuff we do. But I've seen a lot of, you know, or, or maybe not a lot, but like a good amount of athletes that come to True Sports in the past, you know, that are, you know, four months, five months, six months out from an ACL reconstruction and their quad size and their leg size just isn't there and people are like oh but it's strong well if it was strong and solid then it should be 
pretty damn close to the original size. So a lot of this stuff that I see is, you know, when we, you know, athletes like, you know, come to us or stuff like that is a lot of them are just underloaded. That leg, you shouldn't be trying to get that leg equal to the other side. You should be trying to shoot for that leg to be so much stronger. Right, because otherwise you're running the risk of retail, right? Right, like if you're, if that person isn't walking out, like obviously post-op, like those first few weeks are hard, but like down the road in that ACL, they should come feeling like they worked out. Yeah. Right. And that's why it is so rigorous because you're pushing them to, to the brink, whether it be if it's a quad day or if it's a posterior chain day, if it's, or, you know, if they're at the phase where they're running and cutting and stuff like that, a, a, you know, a cutting day, whatever your splits are in your block. But a lot of the times when I see people that come in, they're under, I'm just underloaded. Can't return to sport with that. Right. And by underloaded, um, I'm just thinking back through my own clinical experiences. I'm sure you've seen something similar. seems like anymore, people go to that cookie cutter stuff that we were talking about earlier. They go to straight leg raise. They go to sit to stand. Um, one clinic I was in, the heaviest weight they had in the clinic was 15 pounds. Yeah, that's not going to get it done for your, you know, even if it's a general person. Right. You know, you know your, your weekend warrior or, or, or just somebody that is just, you know, walking around, like they need to be loaded. Right. Yeah. No matter I'm, who it is. And that's going to piggyback off of Dr. Mears wiki's podcast. Like no matter what the age they need to be loaded, but yeah. you have an athlete and you know, the highest weight you have is 15 pounds. It's just not going to get it done. Yeah. If you can safely load someone in the geriatric population, 70, 80, 90 year old grandma, if you can safely load them with 80 to hundred percent of their one rep max, why are you not doing it for athletes? If you can throw a weighted vest at 10% of their body weight on them, which keep in mind, some of these people in that study, you know, you're looking at 200 pound people. That's a 20 pound weighted vest. That's a lot more than they're used to. So right. if you're doing that with grandma, why are you not doing that with the athlete? Or why are you not doing more than that with the athlete? Right? These are the young, fit, healthy individuals who everyone kind of looks at as, you know, the symbols of strength. So why are we giving them the same stuff we give other people? And think about their demands of sport. Right. right? Like whether they're a runner or a hockey player or a football player, they need to be strong. They need to be explosive. They need to change direction on a dime. They need to be quick. They need to have both eccentric, they need to have eccentric strength, you know, being able to control that knee as they're coming out of a sprint or changing direction, explosive power, isometric strength. Like there's a lot of different things that they need and you need to give them that so that they can feel comfortable returning back to sport. I don't know the statistics now, but a lot of, you know, if you dive into the research, a lot of people don't feel comfortable going to back to sport or returning to the same level of sport. Right. And with that too, look at the re-injury rate. Uh, I know we've had someone in the past on the podcast, one of the, one of the female athletes who shared that she had two ACL tears back to back in opposite legs. So she tore one. She said, look, it kind of felt like grandma's PT. It was cookie cutter. They gave me a sheet of what to do, and I did it on my own. And I was doing the same stuff as, you know, the 70-year-old sitting right across from me. ACL rehab, the same as, you know, a 70-year-old with osteoarthritis. And what happens? She gets discharged. She goes back on the court and literally a couple days later blows out the other ACL. Yeah. Just crazy how, many, how common this is and becoming. If you're, if you're an athlete – you need to understand what you should be getting out of your rehab. 
know, a lot of a lot of places out there advertise advertise that you know their sports medicine or sports physical therapy sports physical therapy just be careful of, of what that entails and stuff like that right because I, I preach by the one-on-one if you're an athlete or if you're whatever you should be you know, you should be getting that one-on-one time. Unfortunately, not all business models are like that or therapy models, but um, everybody should be getting that. And if you're an ACL, you need that. Yeah. Not saying that other people don't need it. I don't want to be heard wrong, but like, just make sure you know what you should and need to be getting out of your therapy. Look and at the, the clinic. also needs to know the demands of your sport. Like understand right. what you need to do. Breaks down a movement. Okay, you need to run or jump explosively. Let's work on this at the foot. Let's work on this at the knee, you know, in your respective phase of rehab in order to get you to do that. If they don't understand what the demands of your sport, then how can they accurately assess and and create a plan of care for you and whether whatever injury that is, whether it's ACL or whatever, in order to get you back to doing what you love to do better. That's what we're striving for. We're trying to get you back. We're trying to get you back being better. Right. And that's how we separate ourselves from other companies out there. And I think I'd ask the question too, did your physical therapist play a sport? Like, do they understand what your life entails as an athlete? Do they understand like, you know, up late on a road game away, waking up the next day to go to an 8 a.m. class? Like, do they understand what that life is like? And that goes for many different populations. You yourself played uh, collegiate baseball. Uh, Other individuals like myself, I did skiing, wakeboarding. Like I've done a lot of sports it's just not your typical what you might consider a team sport uh and these are all things that people do right we have ski racers we have professional wakeboarders water skiers all these different things so your ability to look at what they're doing and say like just reiterating your point this is what they need right now because this is what they're going to be doing there is I, i just echoing your point it's such a missing piece and it, it just kind of leaves you to wonder, like, why is it that people are missing this? Why is it that people don't understand how to analyze movement, especially when they're considered a movement expert? I mean, I think it just goes back to not falling into that trap of prescribing exercises to just prescribe exercising, standing what a specific individual needs, breaking down a movement understanding a rehab process for whatever, you know, if it's a post-op, like understanding how to treat an ACL, right? understanding how to treat a hip scope or, you know, a labral tear conservatively and both post-op. Um, I think a lot of things go into it, but the biggest thing and what, you know, I, I taught, was taught here and what I teach my staff PTs is understand why you're doing what you're doing and not just doing yeah well when there's a purpose for every action every action has a result it's simple so if you can defend what you're doing you know it might not be the best reasoning but if you have a defense for it it's probably going to have a result and like there's been times where i myself personally have given someone something and been asked you know why are you doing that and i'm like look it's going to work on this and someone will say, well, you know, this would be a better option to do that. And I'm, I'm like, yes, it would. I agree. But they're not there right now. So I can't just throw this at them and say, go do it if they can't even do this basic movement. So kind of putting an example to that, 
say we have someone with patellar tendonitis, right? So if they have tendonitis in that kind of quad region, knee region, and we're following kind of old school standards here of eccentric loading, then everyone would go with the Spanish squat, I would think, nine times out of 10 as the gold standard exercise. But if someone doesn't have the ability to do a correct body weight squat, am I going to put them in a Spanish squat setup with the bands and tell them to crank away on that for, you know, three, four sets of 10 reps with 10 second eccentric? Probably not. I'm probably going to want to get things correct first. And, you know, whatever we got to do to get that, whether that's utilizing a TRX or just working on cueing to get a proper movement first. And then when you go to rehab, not only are you correcting the issue, so in this case, tendonitis, you're also correcting it with a proper movement pattern. So it's just adding to that neural reinforcement like you added before. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, whatever it is, whatever, you know, that you're treating and stuff like that, you know, whether tendonitis or, you know, whatever, you're, you're going to progressively like build them up in a, in a manner that that tissue like and you also have to understand like tissue healing times or whatever it is or, or or things like that with whatever you're talking about you know when they're seeing you in that phase of rehab obviously uh you know you're not going to have them perform a movement and it doesn't look good and it could be contributing to their symptoms and stuff like that so obviously you're going to clean it up and do whatever correctors you need to like for that patellar tendonitis or before that you know with that acute stage whatever injury it is obviously you the biggest thing first is like and I don't even know if this is answering your question, but like going from a standpoint of rehab, like you want to calm that tissue down and then progressively build them back up in like a pain-free range or, or like I won't shoot for anything more than like a three or a four out of 10. Cause right. they're probably going to have some level of discomfort, but like, obviously you, you don't want it more than that. And then, you know, use the description of pain as your guide. Is it sharp? I don't like sharp. Is it dull and achy? Okay. We can work with that. They're probably, if it's acute, going to have some form of discomfort. And like with your tendonitis thing, like your patellar tendon stuff, like you can't just not load that area because it's just going to make things worse. Right. You also can't do it to the point where it's like debilitating. Right. It's a balancing act. Like heavy isometrics come into play. Um, and stuff like that and you know your patellar tendon lunges and your you know things like that so you can rebuild that tissue up and it's also understanding like where do you mainly like since you brought up patellar tendonitis like where do you mainly see that issue and it's usually like your jumpers like your your explosive athletes like you're probably not going to see like a patellar tendonitis thing in like somebody who's just like walking no <laughs> we hope not anyways it's called runner's knee or jumper's knee for a reason right so i didn't mean i'm gonna be honest i don't even know what the question was we were just talking but it's like yeah you need to just, understand where that you know individual is 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 in with that respect to their injury and like the healing time for the tissue and understanding when and when not to progress, when to regress, and, and with that tissue healing time, like where they are, and like understanding how isometrics come into play, you know, and, and things like that. It's all about those phases of rehab, and your patient can literally uh, change uh, phases in, you know, one session. They can go from phase four to two and back to three or something. I mean, every day is an evaluation day. I like to think about it. Every day I'm doing an eval. 
right? right? Every day I see that patient, it's a new day. How are they presenting? What are they coming in with? You know, maybe they're a little better than last time. Maybe they're a little worse. Maybe they tweak something, you know, every day is an evaluation day and you need to treat it as such because, you know, you want to, you need to, and you should, you don't want to get that person better. You know, they're seeking you out and, you know, as you have the knowledge and you're, you know, can give them that knowledge to help them. Um, but treat every day like an evaluation day and go from there. With that, John, any kind of closing thoughts or anything you wanted to add about FRC, uh, BFR, PT in general, or uh, ACLs, knees, that sort of thing? I mean, if anyone has questions about the BFR or, you know, the FRC stuff, you can put my you have my email. It's jharned at truesportspt.com. You can add that into the notes. You know, I have two Instagrams. What was it? I don't even know my handle. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was diamond underscore doctor 14. Something yeah. like that. We can add that. And then there's a jharned one. That's like my personal one. I don't even know. We can add those in at the end. I don't know. the. Yeah, I'll throw them in there. People can message me or, you know, text me. I love to chat. Um, and athletes can schedule with you guys too, obviously, right? Just reach out to you. Just DM me. I'm here for you. Night or night, night, early morning, late at night, a Sunday, Christmas Eve, whatever you need. I'll be here. <laughs> um, that should be your new slogan. Christmas Eve, whatever you need. Hey, I like it. I, it's I like got it a good jingle to it there. We're laid back. And that's the biggest thing with the app, you know, since, you know, we're a big athletic population is, and for people that want to work with sports, you know, you're, you, you know, you live and die by the athlete schedule, right? right? Um, it's based on when they can get here. So, you know, a lot of times I'll have midday gaps because no one can get here. You know, the school thing, kids are away or I'm coming in super late, maybe a 12, 15 start, but I'm staying till eight 30, nine 15 at night. You know, it's a long day, but you know, it's no similar than a nine to five, but you know, it's fun um, and stuff like that. You know, advice for PT, you know, whether it's you want to work with sports, you want to work with, you know, pediatric and pediatrics and things like that. And it's something that I learned here. And it's a quote, um, you know, that my bosses tell me and it kind of spoke with me or spoke to me when I was, you know, interviewing here. It's people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that speaks wonders for how we at TrueSports do things and stuff like that. You don't need to be the smartest PT in the world or the smartest guy, right? Just how it's just caring for that individual, right? Everybody is human. We're all human in the most basic form and giving, you know, giving them what they need um, to achieve any goals that they have in life. Um, and if you do that in PT or, or just in your general life, um, the amount of satisfaction and inspiration that comes out of that is tremendous and will supply you for a lifetime. So definitely for sure. That's great advice, man. John, as always pleasure talking with you, pleasure having you back on the podcast. This has been a long time coming here. Um, Thanks for having me. I think the last one, when I was actually studying for my boards. Yeah, it was a while ago. It was like Arizona. a little motivation Monday thing. I forget what yeah. we were ranting about, but we were on our high horses that day. I remember probably had a little bit too much coffee and not enough sleep yeah either that or uh the gym session that morning was a little too spicy we probably had papa roach going or something like that i don't know we're not spicy enough no never always a pleasure man always a pleasure thanks for having me dan